0: Good morning, and uh, yeah, my name is Ngewi, for those who don't know me, and I'm not the pastor here, Um, Pastor Jeff is off today, and um, his wife Cindy, and so I'll be filling in for him today. And today we're going to be taking a break from the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to be continuing in our parallel series uh, on the life and ministry of Elijah. And um, first of all, we're going to refresh um, where we are in the story. Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament who served in the northern kingdom of Israel at a time when evil prevailed in the land like they had not sinned before. At this time, Israel had been split into the northern and the southern kingdom. And while the southern kingdom had some godly leaders, um, the northern kingdom had a straight line of leaders who just turned away from God, went into idolatry and all kinds of wickedness. The Bible tells us that Ahab did evil like none of those who had come before him. When we last left off in the story, Elijah, as we can see, um, had been on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal and he had issued the challenge after some years of drought and told them to meet him on the mountain and that they were going to they were gonna pray to their God and he was going to pray to the living God and The one who answered by fire, by providing fire to burn the sacrifice on the altar, was the living God. And Elijah built up his altar. After the prophets of Baal had prayed the whole day with no response, Elijah built up the altar, put water on it, dug a trench around it, and filled it with water. And God responded with fire. And this fire consumed the altar the sacrifice the meat, the stones, the sticks, the wood underwater and even charred up the soil so it was clear that this was not a human fire and what happened after that is elijah led the people of israel to seize all the prophets of baal and to put them to death like there were over 450 of them and that we know of and when that happened queen jezebel ahab's wife threatened to kill elijah this caused elijah to flee and get into a point where he experienced um, a depression Basically, he was uh, suicidal. He was ready to give up. He basically had reached the end of his rope. But Elijah met with God on Mount Horeb, and God gave him a renewed purpose for his ministry. God told him, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. So that's where we ended last time. And this is where we pick up today with Elijah obeying the instructions which God has given him. And we we read in 1 Kings 19, which is where we are, um, from verses 19 to 21. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah, Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. And they ate it. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. So we see um, God asked Elijah to you know, anoint certain people, you know, anoint a new king uh, over Aram, anoint a new king over Israel, and to anoint a successor as prophet. And Elijah, we read, um, the Bible doesn't tell us about the other anointings, but we are told about the calling of Elisha. Elijah goes to Elisha and finds him and, you know, throws his cloak over him. And now there's a lot of symbolism which is going on here, um, which may not be obvious to us, but You know, it's basically a strange person walking up to you and throwing their cloak around you. And then like, so now what? But this was very understood because we know in the Bible that um, the prophet had a specific cloak the same way that uh, priests had one. So there was a garment that he wore that identified, and I think if we read in Zechariah chapter 3, I think it was 14, you read it being mentioned as well, that there is a prophet's cloak which is made of hair and you know, uh, other particular materials which identified that this was a prophet. And the laying of his cloak on Elisha was clear to Elisha Elijah and all those who were watching that this was a call to the office of a prophet. Now, Elijah, Elijah, Elijah asks uh, to go and Kisses father and mother goodbye, and Elijah says, "You know, go back. What have I done to you?" Which is a strange question, but (laughs) but um, it's a figure of speech. And from all of the you know um, commentaries on this passage that I read, it's basically telling Elisha go back, but think uh, think about what I have done to you. In that sense, and so it's not like him saying, "Oh, what have I done to you?" No, it's Basically, affirming that call, and um, yeah, in Zechariah thirteen verse four, we are told you know that the prophet's garment is a garment of hair, and we see that also with John the Baptist in the New Testament, which is also you know who was one who the people recognized as a prophet. So, Elisha is called in this passage to the ministry of of being a prophet to the nation of Israel. Um, What exactly is a calling? And um, I've heard it, you know, it's one of those things that we talk about a lot. You hear it and you use it, and but you stop to ask, what exactly is it? And there is one definition I found, which is in the Webster Online Dictionary, which I found actually to be quite fitting. And it says it's a strong inner impulse toward a particular course of action, especially when accompanied by conviction of divine influence. Others have defined it as, Something that you know you cannot not do. Right? And the way I see it, there are two types of calling that we have in life. You know, there is, you know, a common calling and um, an individual calling, if you will. A special calling. Similar to the way we have a common grace, I think. And a special grace. And the common calling is a call we get to salvation. A call to new life in God. This is the call which extends out to all of humanity the same way that you know we know of common grace which is a theological concept which was introduced to describe you know the grace of God to both the good and the wicked you know as the bible says God lets the rain fall on all of them God you know has instituted certain principles in nature which apply to everyone and everyone is blessed by them the common calling is a call to new life which goes out to all of us and we have a choice, you know, how we respond. And being a Christian is that we responded in faith to God's call and we we're chosen by Him. The Bible tells us a lot about this calling. Um, in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, the Bible tells us, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Colossians three fifteen, we are told, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. In 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 12, we are told, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is a calling that goes out to everyone. A call to fellow, a life of fellowship with Christ. A call to peace. Peace like God gives, not like the world gives. A peace which transcends human understanding. We are called to be free. We are called to no longer be enslaved to sin. To be enslaved to the patterns of our flesh. We are called to freedom in Christ. We are called to the kingdom of God. We are called to eternal life, to live with God in eternity, to live and reign with him, as the Bible says. We are to be salt and light in this world, to serve one another humbly, to live a life worthy of the calling to our fellowship with Christ and the calling to salvation. And I think there is also an individual calling. You know, we get a specific, more individual calling which is to fulfill a specific purpose on earth for which we were individually made for. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2 verse 10 that for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And each of us when going through life must figure out what is my life about? and What on earth am I here for? And it is not just to wine and dine and live the good life, you know, to work and earn money and, yeah, yeah go through the motions. Now we were put here for a purpose. And we strive to figure out that purpose so that we can fulfill it. Oh, sorry. I was seeing everything. <laughs> we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We all have a specific purpose for which God put us here. And that purpose, we have to fulfill. So that at the end of our lives, we can look back like the Apostle Paul and and say, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my race. Some people are called into full-time ministry, but by no means everyone. We have other vocations, we have other jobs. But in whatever we are doing in life, there is a higher purpose than just whatever your job or your career is. And sometimes by the grace of God, what is your job or your vocation coincides with that calling. And that's great. But other times it does not. The Bible tells us that those who you know, have a gift of mercy should do it. Those who are called to to give should give generously. Those who have the gift of administration should do so diligently as well. And whatever it is that we are called to, we need to find that niche where we can live out the life that God created and created us for, that God prepared in advance for us to do. Jesus knew his calling by the time he was 12, maybe earlier, but we definitely know. That by 12, he turns to his mother and says, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Jesus knew what he was about by the time he was 12. Moses, on the other hand, figured out what his calling was when he was 80. But everything in his life had prepared him for that moment, for that calling. Now, some of you here today might be living a life where you have clarity about your calling in life, about your purpose. And it can be, you know a wide variety of things. You know, it can be, you know, some people are called just to minister in their home. Some people are called to go beyond that. Some people are called to move across from their nations and go to another place. Some people are called to their town, their village. And some, you know, know you have a moment, maybe you had a moment of clarity where you knew, this is what my life is about. This is why I am here. For others, it's not so clear. You know, it's maybe more an evolving thing, you know, where you are constantly just seeking God and obeying the next thing. And in doing so, fulfilling the calling of God on your life. There is no formula for exactly figuring out this is the calling. If I could give you that formula, then I would be able to put God in a box, which um, we cannot do. But there are a few things we can learn from Scripture about the calling of God on our lives. And how he has dealt with others in the past. Now, the calling of God often comes at a time that is inconvenient or unexpected. For the majority of us. Now, for some people, like I said, this might not be the case. But a lot of times, you know, God intervenes in our lives in moments that are not of our choosing. You know, we see Elijah, he went about, he was farming, you know, it was you know, out with 12 pair of oxen. It was probably, you know, the high season, the time to plant, the time, you know, they had, he figured out what was going to happen next. And the call came in the middle of that and interrupted what he was doing. We see this also throughout the Bible, you know, from Abraham to Moses, you know, all of these people were going about their lives, having different plans and visions for their future. And yet the, goal, the call of God came to them at those times when They didn't expect the next thing we can see is that those whom God calls he equips we see this also in Elisha's calling later in the scriptures we see that Elisha receives a double portion of the spirit of Elijah now he has been prepared his whole life God knew whom he was calling but God equipped him as well because sometimes when we are faced facing the calling of God like more often than not it's bigger than your own dreams Right? You look at it and you're like, this is not something I would come up with by myself. And that's the same way we see Gideon felt. You know, we see also Abraham struggling with this. Like, God, like, um, how am I going to have a kid right now? How am I going to move and do all these things? And Gideon was like, I'm the least in my family. And my family is the least in my tribe. And my tribe is the least in the nation. But God was able to equip him for his purpose. Now, what God requires from us is just obedience. If we follow. He will equip us for the calling that he has prepared for us. And we know that our calling God prepared for us like in advance. So it's not a surprise to God. It's not like God woke up one morning and said, I have a vacancy here. Like who's going to fill it? Oh, Jean, like you step up. No. Um, before we were formed in the womb, God had a purpose for us. The other thing is that we are called to our gifting, right? Like sometimes, like I said, we... In this place in life where we are struggling and like trying to figure out, or maybe you are at crossroads. What is, my, what is the direction that God wants me to go right now? What is where, is, where is God leading me? We A good place to start is to look in at the gifts that God has given you in life. And we know that God has given all of us gifts that we can use to serve the body of Christ. We can use to serve him in this world, to advance his kingdom. And so it's, some, it's, safe, it's safe to say that, you know, if you are not able to carry a note, then maybe God didn't call you into the music ministry. You know, if you're, you know, having a particular gift to a particular area, it's a place to start serving and say, okay, this is where I'm going to start investing this talent that God has given me. And then God is going to lead me from there. Now, it doesn't mean that it's going to be exactly the way you imagine it. Oftentimes, we, God takes us in directions that we wouldn't have you know sin from the beginning but it's a good place to start to say this is what i have this is what god has given me and i'm going to give it back to him i'm going to start serving here rather than sitting and waiting and saying okay i'm going to wait until god shows me what to do next um if you pray and you're not hearing any clear things start with what you have what god has given you and walk diligently at it elisha was not sitting around doing nothing elisha was working hard. It was you know serving he was in his family working the farms with the other workers as well and we see that with all the other people as well that God uses in scripture they are not doing nothing which is also part of the reason why the call of God comes unexpected right because you start investing yourself in a direction you're working hard but part of that is preparing you for what the ministry that God has for you so nothing in your life is wasted no experience you go through God wastes but he can use all of it he can take all of it and work it for good and prepare you Moses went through the palace training, so he was familiar with the customs of Egypt. Then he went another 40 years in the desert, so he was familiar with the desert. I guess in that time, for Moses, it was like, okay, I'm just doing what I'm doing now here. I'm going to work hard, serve my father-in-law and my family. But it was all preparation. He just couldn't see the big picture. And the last thing is that the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. The Bible tells us this in Romans chapter 11, verse 29. God does not retract the gift and the calling he has put on your life. But what you do with it is up to you, right? Like There's like two or three parables in the New Testament that Jesus tells about the talents, and that God, the master who gives the talents or the sums of money to his servants and then goes on a journey. And then it's up to them what they do with it. God doesn't, the calling of God is irrevocable. The gifting of God is irrevocable. But whether you develop that gift, whether you use it and exercise it and grow in it, is up to you and me. Now, you might wish that you had a different calling, right? And, but ultimately, what we find in life is that the path that God chooses for us, when we follow it and follow it diligently, then we find the most satisfaction in life. We find the most fulfillment because we are the most us when we are walking in the path that he laid out because he knew us before he created us. And he prepared this path for us. Now, this is the calling of God. You know, God has a call on your life. For each and every one of us, there is a calling. It's not just for some, you know, specific people. And some people have dramatic callings, right? Some people, it's like, wow, you know, you hear the story, and you know, like for other people, you know, I've never had that in my life. Um, But for other people, there's no dramatic calling, there's no moment. But it's a, process of you know consistently following God step by step day by day and obeying his word and the response as we've heard is up to us how did Elisha respond to this calling now there's two things I observe about Elisha's response to the calling of a prophet and the first is that it was immediate and the second is that it was complete and let's look at um, these two aspects of his calling the first one is the immediacy of it. Elisha didn't wait, right? Elisha immediately ran after the prophet. And he asks for permission to return and say goodbye to his parents. This, I see, is already an indication of submission to that office, right? Of, uh, to the calling, let's say, and to the authority of Elijah over him. He doesn't, you know, just go. He goes and asks for permission. Similar to the way Mary submits to the vision of the angel and says, like, you know, after God gave her the news of that she will be pregnant, it's like let it be done to me, as you have said. But when I read the passage, there was something that struck me about It's the similarity to um, an experience in Jesus' life. In Luke chapter 9, from verse 57 to 62. It says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Him, in this case, is Jesus. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand on the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This last man is particularly similar to the story of Elisha. And this man wanted to return and bury his father. Now, we do not know if his father was still alive and he was like, I have obligations to my family. I'm going to go and stay with my family and wait until my father dies, then I'll bury him, then I'll have the freedom to come and follow you. Or if the father was already terminally ill and he wanted to just go, you know, or maybe the dad was already dead and he wanted to like just go and do the ceremony. We don't know any of this. But what we do know is that Jesus was speaking to a condition of the heart. Some of us, you know, here in IBC, is a big church, a very international church, a very with lots of people from different backgrounds and we come with different obligations right there's different cultural family obligations there's different uh, cultural expectations of us and we carry this with us you know even when we travel or go far and wide and sometimes these obligations and expectations go against the will of God or go against scripture Some of them are practices that, you know, we shouldn't be indulging in maybe ancestor worship or, you know, other kinds of religions, you know, local religions and things like that. But there is a weight of expectation. And having to say no to those things is not easy. I speak as one who knows myself because I know, like, um, funerals in Germany, for example, uh, you know, or oh, let's say modern in the Western world, um, a very straightforward affair, right? Like but for us it's usually a bigger celebration, you know, that goes over multiple days. And there's also certain rites and things that happen in, in, as part of those celebrations that you wonder what kinds of spirits sometimes are being invoked and things like that. And each of our cultures, you know, has something that is counter to the word of God. You know, as Jeff always says, we all, all cultures are against <laughs> the uh, scripture because all of, a lot of our human culture is born of the flesh. And so if we look carefully, you would find it even in your own culture. And the question is, are you going to go along with the culture of family obligations and expectations? Or are you going to choose to follow Christ even when that comes as a cru- at a cost? Because following God... Always cost us something. It might cost us in reputation. It might cost us some relationships. It might cost us, yeah, different things. And some of us, you know, sitting here in IBCD, some people here, you know, have stories of the cost that just being here is part of the cost that they are paying for faith in Christ. And the truth is that when we cling to what we have, when we cling to that reputation or the good name or You know, not wanting to upset anybody. We eventually lose out. Because the Bible tells us what good is it when a man gains the whole world and loses their own soul. What are you going to do with the call of God in your life? Are you going to choose to follow God and follow him no matter the cost? Or are you going to put your hand on the plow and keep looking back? And keep wondering what you've left behind? Because the Bible tells us Jesus was plain, you know, those who do that are not fit for service in the kingdom of God. Our devotion to God has to be complete. God demands no less. The call to the life in Christ is not bring everything that you have and God is going to bless it and give you new kinds of pleasures. It's basically a death to self, putting to death all the things that we wear and have, laying them at the cross and taking on the new life in Christ. Because when our commitment to God is not wholehearted, then our faith is going to waver. Because life and the world is going to throw enough things in our path to cause us to stumble. And only if we have the devotion, the focus on Christ, are we going to be able to stand. The second thing I see about Elisha's response is that it was complete. Now, Elisha asks for permission to go back, you know, and, and... say goodbye to his family. And from the verses that follow, we see that he is very different from the man in the story with Jesus. This man may have been looking for an excuse, you know, to turn back or to look at the things that he was going to leave. But in Elisha's case, from his actions, we see that Elisha was really just, you know, trying to go back to say goodbye and honor his family. Because what does Elisha do? The Bible tells us he... um, Elisha goes to his family, and we know that Elisha was well-to-do because they had 12 pair of oxen, right? Which is like, you know, at least 24. That's, you know, and probably a very big field that all of them were plowing. So this was wealth. You know, it was not, it's not like Elisha came from nothing. But Elisha goes back, and he says goodbye to his family, but he doesn't just say goodbye. He kills the oxen, all of them, and uses the wood, so the instruments, the implements that they had to cook the meat. And he distributes it out to the townspeople. Now, that's a lot of meat, right, Um, to kill at once. And there was no refrigeration back in the day. So we knew that Elisha, (laughs) it's not like this was common sense, the common sense thing to do. It was not. But I believe Elisha was making a statement. His old life was ending and a new one was beginning in his calling. The call of God had come on his life and there was nothing that was going to stand in his way. He was not going to have the insurance policy of, you know, I'm just going to give this to a friend for safekeeping. And if this thing doesn't work out with Elijah, I'm going to come back and pick up my (laughs) oxen and keep doing that. No, he gave them all up. And I find it interesting that he cooks the meat and also distributes it to the townspeople. Now, granted, it might not have been a very big town, but he gave it to all of those people. And for me, that was a public statement. He didn't just keep it in the family. And some of us sometimes, you know, when we get a call of God in our lives, you want to keep it quiet. You know, it's the same thing like, you know, you hear also from motivational speakers to share your goals with people because that keeps you accountable right it's not like okay I'm believing in Christ now but I'm going to keep it to myself because my faith is personal and um, if you ask me I'll tell you but if you don't ask me I'm just going to keep it to myself and that's fine that is not the life we are called to our life our light must shine in the world so that people will see and glorify God in heaven and Elijah Elisha made it clear that he was beginning a new life because he gave them and everyone who ate of that meat (laughs) <laughs> was a witness if Elisha ever returned to that town they were like dude I was there I had a piece of the meat this were witnesses it's the same thing we do in baptism we say baptism is a symbol you know an outward declaration of an inner change what is the transformation that has already happened in our lives do you respond to God's calling your life in secret or do you step out in faith trusting God to guide you and to lead you. A public commitment helps keep us accountable. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12 that we have a great cloud of witnesses who are looking down on us. Cheering us on in the race. Also, another thing about the calling of God in our lives is that having we, people who keep us accountable. Is having, also means having people who can guide us. People who can listen to us and correct us. Because sometimes the, what you might think is the calling of God in your life might not be. And having godly men and women of God who are walking alongside you who can say, are you sure this is God? Because, you know, have you considered this and that? The Bible tells us that in the multitude of counsel, you know, like wisdom is not lacking. Like When we have enough, victory, is not lacking, sorry. When we have enough counsel, enough advice, we are able to make better decisions because God can speak to us through people who know us, who love us, who care for us, and who are able to hold us accountable. And who are also able to encourage us when we get discouraged. Because, yeah, it's not going to be smooth sailing. We know, we are promised that things are going to be tough. So when we set out, you know, after the immediate high of, oh, I figured it out, this is my calling, this is what I'm going to do. The inevitable low is going to come. And in that time, it's good to have people who are there to walk with us, to pray with us, to encourage us and lift us up. Now, whoever you are today, there is a call on your life. And the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us in Revelation 3.20, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. And day with me. God is calling us. To a life. In service. Of him. And if you have never given your life to Christ. He stands there at his door. At your door and is knocking. And he wants to come into your life. And change your life. And give you a new one. One which would find fulfillment in him. Not in the old pleasures that you once found fulfillment or tried to find fulfillment in but true peace true fulfillment we need to repent and change our ways we must turn away from the things we did before and put our trust in christ as our savior as the one who died on the cross to pay for our sins to pay the price for our sins in short we must be born again and for those who have already been walking with christ who have been maybe on this journey with him for quite a while but maybe you've been looking back you know jesus tells us also yet i hold this against you that you have forsaken the love you had at first consider how far you have fallen repent and do the things you did at first and if you do not repent i will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place it's a plea with an ultimatum turn back and seek your first love. The first love that you had in Christ. The first passions that you had. When you were single-mindedly pursuing God. Maybe now you have drifted. Maybe now the cares of this world. As the Bible tells us. Grew up and choked. That mission. That calling. And then you never you know, cared to follow it. You knew. Or maybe you knew what God is calling you to. But you never obeyed. You never responded. It is never too late. And there is still time for you. So whoever you are today, there is a calling for you. And if you figure out that calling, I say, great. Run in it. Walk with it. Walk with others in that calling. And fulfill that purpose. So that when you're looking back in your life, you can be able to say like Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. How would you respond to your calling? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the example we can draw from the lives of Elijah and Elisha. We thank you that Elisha was one who was able to see the calling of God on his life and respond immediately and completely. We pray, O God, that may we respond in similar ways to God. When you call us, may we not hesitate. For delayed obedience is really disobedience. But give us the courage to stand up for you when we need to. Help us, O God, to trust in you when our faith will waver. And help us, O God, not to look back, but to put our hand on the plow and push forward, trusting that you are going to sustain us and working with our brothers and sisters who are going to continue to encourage us as well along this journey. We pray, O God, for everyone, O God, who is listening today who has not yet made the the choice to surrender their lives to you, to seek you. pray, O Father, that... Your spirit will convict them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, that they may turn to you and find eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.